I'll preface my remarks today by quoting the letter of James. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Makes me tempted just to sit back down. Maybe we should take a page out of the tradition of our Quaker sisters and brothers and just sit in silence. Perhaps that would be more efficacious. But I will take a stab at it anyway, being young and brash, so forgive me. Jesus says in today's gospel, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. And Jesus drops this teaching on his disciples and by extension all of us this day. We are cast perhaps into one of the greatest mysteries and greatest challenges of this walk with our Savior. Peter has just identified Jesus as the Messiah, but then we quickly learn that Peter has, as usual, gotten it all wrong. Perhaps Peter thinks that Jesus has come to shut down all the problems of life, to make an end to the political occupation of the Roman Empire, to usher in a new king for Israel, to restore perhaps the land of flowing milk and honey. But when Jesus starts talking about going to Jerusalem and facing crucifixion there, Peter is so upset that he pulls Jesus aside and begins to berate him. Nonsense, you can almost hear him saying. How dare you talk this way? Jesus makes no bones in reply, and he accuses Peter of representing the heart of all temptation and then offers us this zinger about taking up our cross. Everything we have suffered, our faults, our pains, whatever weighs us down, and following, and losing our life to save it. This cross which forms the intersection of both the greatest hopes and greatest tragedies of our lives and the life of the world. Perhaps even the universe itself this cross that sits right at the heart of our tradition, and we are called to take it up. Now, just about all of us have a crazy uncle. Yeah? Crazy uncle, crazy auntie. Someone in the family we don't like to talk about all that much. We as Episcopalians have a collective crazy uncle, his name was Henry. You know which Henry I mean? Henry VIII. So amongst his many exploits as king of England in the late 16th century, Henry VIII decided, as he broke with Rome, that he was going to close down all the monasteries in England. And he did. Ransacked them. Took their lands. Took all their possessions. 
in part because it quelled any potential dissent on the major decisions he was making, and also in part because he needed to fund his treasury anew to continue with his political aspirations. What a wonderful legacy for our family, right? But if you still go to England today, you can see the ruined abbeys and monasteries. They litter the landscape. Some of them are quite beautiful, although the history is quite awful. Tomorrow in the feast calendar of the Episcopal Church is Holy Cross Day. And most of us will go about our business unaware that that day holds special significance. But a handful of our sisters and brothers across the wider church will gather for special services, prayers, and devotions because Holy Cross Day marks the foundation day of at least two orders in the Episcopal Church. One is the Order of the Holy Cross, and the other is the Brotherhood of St. Gregory, both of which have their roots in the 19th century, when after nearly 300 years, monasticism began to make a very slow and hard walk back into our tradition. Both orders to this day are still relatively small in the grand scheme of things, but their path of life is ancient. And it dates back to some of the earliest Christian communities and writings. So what does it mean to think about this passage today about taking up our cross and keeping it in mind as we think about our monastic sisters and brothers and those who have taken on special vows in our community of faith? As my new spiritual director, who is a member of the Brotherhood of St. Gregory, said to me the other day, there is something a bit romantic in most people's minds about monastic communities and monks and nuns living under vows. We imagine them sitting in their habits in beautiful, lush gardens, contemplating the deep things of faith, the deep questions, scripture, praying for all God's faithful But in my walk with these communities over the past 10 years, I can tell you they experience the same fights and disagreements and challenges of living in community as we all do. They're like families. They have their crazy uncles and their crazy aunties. About 10 years ago at this time, a young woman from Japan came to this country and was looking for a place to stay in Berkeley. And as you all know, it was the height of the dot-com boom, and finding an apartment that was even remotely affordable was out of the question. But she found a place at Incarnation Priory, next to All Souls Church, a house of the Order of the Holy Cross. And they were offering housing to students and others who were in need of low-income housing. And a young seminarian who was studying with the prior, who was a spiritual director, met this young Japanese gal, brought her flowers one day, and, well, one thing led to another. That's about as romantic as I'm going to get to if you want. I'm not going to get all mushy. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, the seminarian was me, and the Japanese gal was my wife, Hiroko. 
That was the beginning of my journey with the Order of the Holy Cross. They were a small group of brothers at Incarnation Priory, and they had their ins and outs over the years. About a year ago, a couple years ago actually, they closed down Incarnation Priory and moved down to Mount Calvary, another house of the order above Santa Barbara in the mountains, and they settled there. And then about a year ago, many of you will remember the great fires of Montecito and the monastery at Mount Calvary, which had also served a retreat house for many people, burned to the ground. It was completely destroyed. And it was a very difficult time in the life of that order. What does it mean to take up the cross and follow after Jesus? If that's what you get when you devote your life to vows of chastity and poverty, and above all that pesky vow, obedience, which make us all squirm a little bit uncomfortably in our seat if we think about it for very long. We're not obedient people. We're independent people, right? We value our individualism. That's our heritage. That's our birthright as Americans. And so, on the one hand, we tend to romanticize our monastic sisters and brothers, but we also tend to look at them a bit cross-eyed. What do you mean you've taken vows of obedience? Well, one answer that we might get is, take another look at the baptismal covenant. Oops. We're all under vows of obedience. Take a look at it sometime, and you'll see it. In recent years, there's been some fascinating growth in many orders of the Episcopal Church. The Franciscans in San Francisco, for example, have almost doubled their numbers in the past two or three years, so much so that they ended up renting what was Incarnation Priory over in Berkeley from the Order of the Holy Cross. And now orders are springing up all over the Anglican Communion. There's something about that life that's not romantic, but is appealing because it draws people out of the ups and downs of our economic world, out of the quest for striving for self, to live more fully into the depths of today's gospel picking up our cross and following after Jesus. The odd thing is, even from some of these people who took vows of celibacy, I learned more about marriage than I ever thought I would. Because they taught me what it means to live in community. And that's what family is about, fundamentally, isn't it? taking vows and sticking with it through thick and thin. One of the great memories that will be seared into the lives and hearts of many for many years was a picture taken of Mount Calvary Monastery shortly after the fires of Montecito. And one of the things left standing was the great iron cross in the entryway. 
It's all gone now. And most of the belongings of the order were blown away as ash by the Santa Ana winds. But the other thing I will never forget is a phone call I received from my former spiritual director. Brother Tom called me a couple days after the fire was over, and all he and his brothers had were their cars and a few belongings that they had taken with them as they had fled the approaching fires. And he missed me, so he left a voicemail. And he concluded his call by saying, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty. That is the lesson of today's gospel. Because what Tom and the other brothers of the Holy Cross had learned to do, and the example that they set for the rest of us, is when Jesus tells us to take up our cross and follow him, he is asking us to travel light. To travel light. When Jesus says, those who give up their lives for my sake and the sake of the gospel will save them. Jesus means that when we let go of all of the things that keep us from that path into the mystery that is God's love for us, we find life abundant. Life that can survive firestorms. Abundant life. Abundant life that is indeed eternal. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R mv for millvalley.org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon.